not everybody has OCD. Not everybody gets stuck on their obsessions and then has anxiety about the consequences about the obsessions and then feels like they have to do something to make it go away. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by licensed clinical professional counselor, she specializes in the treatment of OCD, BFRB, Body Focused Repetitive Behaviors. She is also the author of the OCD Exposure Coloring Book, Amanda Petrick Gardner. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. The first question I really have to start off with is, is OCD overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed in your professional opinion? My professional opinion, it is underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed all the time. It is one of those that does not get recognized accurately a lot. What would it be misdiagnosed with and mistaken for? Well, so there are a lot of other anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive and related disorders that can look similar But more often than not, what tends to happen is, and you can tell me your opinion on this, a lot of people see OCD and stereotypically they think things like, you like to clean, you like to organize. That's what people think OCD is. I mean, can I ask you, what did you, I mean, you probably know more than the average person, but what do you think OCD is? I do, but I will revert back before I got to talk to so many amazing people in this community. What I used to think was, cleaning and stuff like that but there was a kid that i went to high school with that would always close his locker like four times before he would close it Mm -hmm. so i was always like why is he doing that and then one day after high school like in college i asked him about it i was like dude do you remember in high school that you used to like close your locker three times and he was like four times and i was like oh four times see i even forgot that it was four times And then he was like, yeah, man, he's like, I have OCD. So I was introduced to repetitive behavior and I had a couple actual questions about repetitive behavior, but to stay on top of what you were talking about, I was in the camp of thinking cleaning your house or like everything's supposed to have a home in your house was like OCD. Right. And so that's what most people assume. Even a lot of clinicians and people in the healthcare field that aren't specifically trained in OCD. That's just what they think. So when a client comes in and says, I can't get this scary thought out of my head. Like I just constantly think, what if I just harmed my husband? Or what if I did something horrible 20 years ago and I don't remember? What if I'm this bad person? And they just have this thought that they cannot get out of their head. So then they're doing some kind of repetitive ritual to try to make it go away. A lot of clinicians are like, well, that's not OCD because you're not cleaning, you're not organizing. And it gets missed all the time. Or it gets treated like true kind of 
homicidal ideation. And all of a sudden they're being reported. They're being sent to child protective services or inpatient treatment. When these individuals don't want these thoughts or are not intending to act on them. Is there a link between OCD and violence? No research we've ever seen actually shows a link there. If anything, these thoughts are what we call egodystonic. Fancy word that just means it goes completely against the person's character and values and who they Uh, are. So these individuals are the least likely to act on their obsession. So I always say, I am more willing to leave a, a client with OCD harm obsessions with my children than some babysitter, because I know that client with harm obsession is probably the least likely individual to ever harm somebody because that thought scares them so much. They're never going to harm a fly. Yeah. They're going to turn the light on like three or four times just so like to ward off evil spells. Exactly. They're so scared of a thought. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to like avoid touching my child. (laughs) Right. Right. The coolest thing about having professionals on this show is I get to ask all of like the dumb questions that actually get like smart answers. Oh, they're not dumb questions at all. (laughs) Because I think a lot of people as untrained professionals were afraid to ask questions of being told like, you know, we're dumb or like this is like that's a dumb question or feel dumb about even having the curiosity of asking about these things. So I really appreciate you answering them in such a beautifully scientific way. I live in New York City, hustle and bustle. Everybody's anxious all the time going anywhere. I think when people think of like the Midwest or Mid-South or any kind of place that is in one of these big metropolis-esque places, Mm -hmm. people think that it's like, it's so boring there. Like, how could people be like depressed or like, you know, or sad? It's just like you wake up and do the same thing every day. But I was like, how many days can you look at corn and not get depressed? You know what I mean? I love it. Right. I guess what's one of the beauties of mental health or the unfortunate parts of mental health is it does not discriminate culture where you live or corn. (laughs) Did you grow up with a curiosity for like mental health stuff or was it something that you kind of observed going through life? Because I feel like some people are just blessed with like being born and like knowing what they want to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was that person in high school that I knew what I wanted to do. But my story was that I have lived experience with OCD. I was that person doing these rituals, but I didn't know what was going on. And Uh I think like a lot of therapists, I hate to admit, a lot of us go into the field because we needed what we didn't get ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I become an OCD specialist because I'm like, I understand my clients. I understand these obsessions. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I understand recovery. When you're on an airplane, do you lie about your job so you don't have to like help people on the plane? All the time, because people will pick your brain. And it's like, I don't have the best feeling in the world. I was telling my friend about this. I just did a European tour uh, for stand up, and they were like, How are like all the flights? I was like, I just told everybody I was a doctor. And then they would say, like, Oh, like what kind of do-? I was like, Oh, no, no, no. It's a, I'm a doctor of the arts. Like, you know, <laughs> I, so nobody really wants to like keep asking questions about that. If you tell somebody you're stand up, they're like, Oh, like, what do you do? Like, what, are you, what is this? I always feel like therapists, counselors, a doctor, whatever, anybody with a medical license to do mm-hmm. anything should be allowed to lie about their jobs everywhere they go to have like peace of mind. Because you guys are like celebrities and like amongst normal people. Yeah. And we do lie about it all the time. My husband's a therapist as well. 
So we both have to lie because then they're going to ask, what's it like to be married? Do you use your skills on each other? So we yeah. just don't say anything. So what's your go-to lie about your job? Like what, what job do you have? Oh, I usually say something boring like accounting because nobody's going to ask you anything further. Like, yeah. That's yeah. stupid. Sorry yeah. to all the accountants. Yeah. Sorry to all the accountants in your boring job, but it's okay. It's okay. I think more people are afraid of accountants than than yeah, they don't want to look stupid, so they don't ask anything. Yes. So you know, we cover the misconceptions. So you were one of those kids that was lucky enough to know what they wanted to do at a young age. Super jealous. Good for you. It took me a long time to figure out what I was going to do with my life, but it got me here. Let's talk about intrusive thoughts. Myself, I'm bipolar type two, but. I'm starting to like hate that terminology because I feel one-ish sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I'm on the spectrum between one and two. I get intrusive thoughts all the time. Yeah. Are intrusive thoughts normal without having a condition? Yeah. Great question. They actually, there is research research to show that like almost everybody has an intrusive thought. You know, just that random thought that's like, hey, you should just punch that person. Or yeah. Like, yeah what if you just stabbed your spouse, something like that. There's this joke in the OCD world that says like, yeah, 90% of people have intrusive thoughts and the other 10% are lying, right? You know, yeah, like no, everybody has just that random thought that comes out of nowhere, but not everybody has OCD. Not everybody gets stuck on their obsessions and then has anxiety about the consequences about the obsessions and then feels like they have to do something to make it go away. When I was in college, I took psychology by accident, actually. So when I took psychology, my teacher just signed me up for it. I didn't like seek it out. I wasn't one of those people that was really interested in psychology. But then I got interested in psychology after this statement that my teacher said. My teacher stood up and goes, who here has ever just thought about punching their spouse in the face? And I put my hand up and I I think it was like only two people that put our hands up. They go and they alluded to what you said. It's like, all right, so there's two people telling the truth and everybody else here is lying. Yeah. You know, so I kind of understood like, oh, like in a sense, these thoughts are normal. So then when do they go to not normal? So now there's a couple different models that help explain OCD. And, you know, you can decide which model you kind of connect with. There's the appraisal model, meaning like. For OCD, they might think, okay, you have a random intrusive thought and then you appraise it, meaning, okay, what if you just punched your spouse? And you might be like, oh my gosh, why would I think that? What's wrong with me? Who would think this? And then because of the anxiety from that appraisal, you're like, well, I better avoid my spouse or I better go knock on wood. Okay, so that's kind of this appraisal model. Now there's this other model, other treatment for OCD and evidence-based treatment called inference-based CBT. And they say, yes, random intrusive thoughts do exist. That thought of, what if I just punched my spouse? But they say that the obsession itself is not random. Go with me. They say, okay, you have the thought, what if I punch my spouse? But then your brain reasons its way into the obsession. It says, well, you just thought that. And, oh, you did get in a fight with your spouse the other day. And, oh, you've seen stories on the news about, you know, domestic violence. and." Oh, if you and your spouse are fighting, you probably should just like get away and separate. And it, it's possible you guys could get into a fight. Like, oh, there is domestic violence that runs in your family. Like your brain all of a sudden creates a whole story. Yes. And it happens very quickly. Too. Oh, I love that you just said that because I tell my clients, 
it happens within milliseconds that you are triggered from that, maybe that random intrusive thought, but it creates a whole story to make this obsession that says, what if I could be capable? What if I could be somebody that could harm my spouse? And then all of a sudden now you're doing a ritualistic prayer or asking for reassurance. But in inference-based CBT, they say that obsession, the doubt is not random. There's actually a whole reasoning process behind it full of stories, hearsay stories, possibilities, facts that make that doubt kind of sound credible. Ah, yes. You get to decide which kind of model you're like that. I connect with that one. It's not repressive, I don't think, to get a thought and be like, oh, I don't ever want to think about that again. Like, you know, like, I, I don't think that's like repressing, yeah. but there's like random thoughts throughout the day. Like, I love my dogs and I'll get, I'm very attached to them and I'm very emotional. And for some reason, I don't know if this has to do with just the human condition of just like first world country being bored and like having time to like actually think about these things. But it's like, I was like, oh man, like, what would I do if one of them died? And it's weird that I'll try to like make a plan and then like three seconds later, it's like out of my mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that it's okay to be observant around like real life things that are going to happen. It's just when you start to, like you said, when you get obsessive about it, like uh, we're all going to die, right? Mm-hmm. Newsflash, we're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> if you have that thought every day, I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but if you're going out of your way to like baby proof your house for human, you know, and like covering up the knives with like little like shields and stuff, that's when I think it gets to a point of OCD. Would that to you as a license, would you say that that is kind of right? Uh, Yeah. What you're saying is golden. And I don't even think you know the extent of it because Everyone has doubts. You know, we think, what if I die? Or, yeah, what if my dog, you know, dies? Or just doesn't have to be about death. When we start living in this imagined story that's not even happening, we start acting on it. So let's say, you know, you get consumed by this doubt of what if I'm dying? What if I'm dying today? What if I'm about to die? And you start acting on that story that's not even happening right now, right? And doing compulsions from, again, it could be, repetitive prayer, I'm not saying prayer is bad, but it can be compulsive, researching and Googling and reassurance seeking and all those kind of things. That's when it becomes the concern. Just having a doubt is not a concern. Okay. When we start living in that story, that's not even happening in this moment and acting on it as if that possibility is happening in the here and now. So everything you just said. Yep. No, you're right. no that hits, that hits. What percentage of people are born with OCD? Are you born with OCD? And is there like a direct link to genetics when it comes to OCD? Yeah, most research and researchers believe there is a biological and thus a genetic link. So they say, you've had this. This is just how your brain works. It's nothing you've done wrong. Like there are structural abnormalities in your brain and the way that the neurotransmitters work, just things are not communicating correctly. So yes, and then definitely a genetic link there. If you have OCD or an obsessive compulsive and related disorder, you're more likely to have somebody in the family that does. And I think the current stats, don't quote me on it, are one in a hundred people have OCD. Okay. So it's like, wow, more people have herpes than OCD. That's actually... (laughs) 
how do you just know that fact? You know, well, you know, they say it's one in five, you know, so ah. one in five. Yikes. All right. So that's actually that's actually reassuring that more people have herpes than OCD. That's actually nice. It's actually nice to think about in a weird way. I don't know if I'd rather have herpes or OCD. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I always say on this show, the human brain is the greatest invention ever. It's untouchable. But the way that it could have like slight ticks and like this amazing work machine that could, you know, I don't want to say hinder on the like insanity because I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to, my brother has Tourette's syndrome, for example. And he was like, sometimes this shit drives me insane, you know, because it's like I just have all these involuntary things that I do and it causes physical pain. It makes me tired, you know, and I'm like, damn, dude, like to really think like the brain can have that control like that to make you do like involuntary thing. So to bring it back to OCD, what my brother had is genetic and biological. We've had other people in our family with certain kinds of tics and stuff. Can like a traumatic brain injury cause OCD? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not familiar enough with the research there. Yeah. I mean, there's still so much that people- I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm not trying to stump you because I've always noticed I'm like, you know, because if you think of like CTE, right? Like I, I wonder if like, traumatic like brain injury can like cause you to be like compulsive and obsessive so like i always try to like think about those things i'm gonna have to look that up i'll put that right next to right next to my herpes stats (laughs) random facts (laughs) so there was a baseball player for the yankees a long time ago his name was jason giambi i'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all but he went into a hitting slump. And for those that don't know about baseball, a hitting slump means you haven't gotten a hit in a long time. So he bought a golden thong. And like he wore, thong underwear. Yeah, thong underwear, a golden thong. It's a very well-known story in like the baseball ethos. And he started to get hits with this golden thong. Mm-hmm. And he kept wearing it. He kept wearing this golden thong. And when people would go in the slumps, he would actually share it with people and be like, yo, Put on the golden thong. It'll get you out of there. Do you think that athletes are professional athletes, highest level, are some of the most superstitious and or obsessive compulsive professional fields? Yeah, we do see this among athletes. And I'm glad you brought up superstitious behaviors because that can border along obsessive compulsive disorder, whether or not it meets the criteria or not. Like it absolutely can. You know, yeah. A lot of times with OCD, we have to assess for also just true values. Like, is this something somebody just truly wants to do? They like it. They enjoy it. It doesn't cause them distress. But a lot of superstitious behaviors, you know, become obsessions and lead to compulsions. So, yep, we see that a lot. There's another one, too. So he just did that to, like, get out of a slump. But there was another baseball player named Nomar Garcia Parra. Played in uh, the 90s and the early 2000s. Every time he took a pitch, he would readjust his gloves, mm-hmm. and open them, close them, do this, do this, do this, do this. Till it feels right. Till it feels right. And I was always used to watch with my dad and my dad would say like, oh, this guy is OCD. Like, there's no reason to do that all the time after every pitch. Can a routine transform into OCD? Yeah. So doing routines repetitively becomes a common compulsion where there is this obsession behind it that says, 
I can't do it different. If I do it different, something bad is going to happen or it'll just feel awful. So Mm. that's common presentation too. In the sports world, we see a lot of times presentations with numbers, lucky numbers, unlucky numbers. Like you mentioned, the just right feeling, having to do something until it's just right. Otherwise it'll feel bad or something bad will happen. Is there a correlation between addiction and OCD? Like, are people with OCD more susceptible to being an addict, whether it be gambling or drinking or drugs or sex or whatever? Good question. I wouldn't necessarily say a correlation, but as far as like a comorbid disorder, meaning you are have a higher chance of having both, absolutely. So same thing with like OCD and more likely to have depression or another anxiety disorder. Substance use is on that list. So like how there's bipolar one, bipolar two, right? There's OCD, but there's also obsessive compulsive personality disorder, right? Uh So are they the same thing? I always think of it like a record label, right? So there's this big record label and then they have like sub-level record labels underneath it. I have to explain myself things in little charts. Yeah. It's like, say like Universal Music Group, but then you have like Republic and other record labels underneath the umbrella. Is OCD the top or is there something that is the actual top? Like what kind of disorders are these called? Yes. So first I'm going to put OCPD on the side, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, obsessive compulsive and related disorders is like the category, the umbrella. Ah. And underneath that obviously falls OCD under that. Also under that is trichotillomania. That's hair pulling disorder. Oh, excoriation, skin picking disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, which is where you almost have obsessions or preoccupation with something about your appearance as if there's some kind of like flaw, even though it's not really there or it's like exaggerated and hoarding disorder is also under that umbrella. Now, OCPD is not even under that umbrella. It's obviously under the umbrella of personality disorders, but I'm glad you asked this because they get confused a lot because of just the name, just solely because name dumb. How stupid. So similarly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that was a lazy day at the office for sure. Exactly. So let me give you my best example to kind of explain the difference between the two. You know how I mentioned OCD is ego dystonic, meaning it like goes against your character, who you are, who you want to be, your values, everything. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is ego syntonic, meaning, yeah, that's who the person wants to be. It aligns with their values. So To give you an example, are you one, a lot of people, you know, if they have dishwashers, they like things in the dishwasher a certain way, right? Everybody has like plates go here or cups are like this, right? Well, an individual with OCD, they might have a certain way they have it in the dishwasher, but that's because they're like, well, they can't touch because if they touch, they could contaminate each other. And you know, what if they contaminate? I, I can't handle that, right? It's coming from a place of anxiety and distress, and that's their compulsion. Yes. Now, OCPD, that person might be like, well, they can't touch and cups go here. But their reasoning is, well, that's just the right way. Like, you're stupid if you do it any other way. That's the only way it's going to get clean. Like, this is how it should be done. It's not because of anxiety or distress. That's just how they feel like that's like life should be run. Okay. Yeah. I have LD, which is lazy disorder. (laughs) I'll put a whole bunch of dishes into the dishwasher and not put them away. Yeah. 
So there's no order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's no order. I have no order disorder. That's what I have. Okay, so that's a great explanation. I have to say it this way. OCPD comes off kind of asshole-ish. I'm going to let you say that. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to say it, but this is why oftentimes an individual with OCPD is less likely to come in for treatment because they don't see themselves as the concern. Right, right. Everybody else says the problem that everybody else needs to follow their rules Uh versus OCD clients come in all the time saying, I don't want this. Make this go away. I don't like this. So you get to say that. I get to say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let the unlicensed person and the man with barely a high school education use words like that. You know, going to school and learning about these specific disorders. Like, do you have to say, I'm only going to specialize in this one? Or are you allowed to specialize in, do they just throw you to the wolves, kind of? They throw you to the wolves. In fact, most people's first job, like, they're just like, okay, you have a full caseload. Good luck. You can generalize and do everything. And a lot, you know, a lot of people generalize and some people decide to specialize if they find something they just truly love and they want to have that niche. So that's what I did. You know, we talked a little bit about you being a kid, right? Do you deal with OC? Like, were you diagnosed? Did you like have something like a moment in your life that was kind of a thing? Because I feel like sometimes in life, you don't need like that one moment that like turns your life around. It could be an encompassing experience. It's your entire life, you know? Was there like a moment where like maybe your parents were kind of like, what's going on with this kid? So I think that's the interesting part of my story is that God bless my family. They are amazing. They are probably that stereotypical Kansas family. Oh, They're wonderful. But we did not speak about mental health. To this day, we don't talk about feelings. I don't even think I knew what the word anxiety was until high school. And I never knew what was happening. We didn't dare. I didn't know a single person that went to therapy until college. Even if I did know what was going on, I don't think I would have ever shared with my family that something was wrong. I mean, I remember at night praying because I thought I was going to die because I wasn't laying correctly in bed, right? Or because Uh I didn't say a prayer correctly thinking, well, you know, I'm going to die because I didn't do this right. And it wasn't until obviously going through this field and education and training that I'm just like, this is what's been happening to me. Like, and I think I'm one of those cases where it's like, I didn't get the the support. And again, not because they didn't provide it. I didn't just wasn't our culture. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. Yeah. In a weird sense, you know, everybody, I think in most families, there's stuff that just isn't talked about, whether it be mental health, whether it be sex, whether it be other family members, whether it be death, religion, some things just aren't discussed amongst families. So it's, it's a sad reality that so many things fall through the cracks because of like old societal norms that linger into like yeah. new generations. That makes me feel bad. One of my first podcasts, being on somebody pod- podcast, my mom heard it, of course, because I posted on social yeah. media and she immediately calls me saying, what did I do wrong? I didn't know oh, that yeah. happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is why I don't talk. <laughs> I know. I've, got, I've gotten that call multiple times. My mom will text me and just be like, just, uh, I love you. Sorry about all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I know. That's my response. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. We're out here flourishing. So we talked about my friend that shut the locker four times, yeah. right? 
And then we talked about obsessing about like death and going down this crazy rabbit hole in your brain that just like is firing at all, all cylinders. Is OCD like the same if it's mental or physical? Or is it like different if it's a mental one or a physical one? Yeah, great question. Compulsions can be either. Compulsions can be mental or physical. I think most people, again, the stereotypical idea of OCD are the physical compulsions, washing hands, rearranging stuff, flipping the light switches on and off. That's what people think of when it comes to OCD. But compulsions can also be mental compulsions. And those are just as common. So these are any rituals we do in our head over and over again, whether it's repeating a phrase to yourself or neutralizing a thought, trying to think of something like a happy thought. It could be counting in your head, ruminating, reviewing information. All of these are mental compulsions. Okay. That's really going to help our audience there because I feel like a lot of people are afraid to like go to doctors, you know, and we try to make sure that anyone that listens to our show one knows that I'm not a licensed professional. That's why I like to talk to licensed professionals. And two, that sometimes you kind of just need to hear positive things about a condition or disorder that you may have or you've actually been diagnosed with. What's your thought on people who say, oh, my God, I'm OCD? Does that that make your blood boil and you just you want to say something, but you don't say something? Yeah, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Okay, first, I'm not even that smart when it comes to English and grammar, but like the grammar of it, I'm so OCD. I'm so obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm like, that's just incorrect. You don't say I'm so cancer. I'm so diabetes. Like, ooh, like it like bothers me on another level as far as language. Yes. But- yeah, no, we were talking a little bit before this uh, about how my wife says, you're doing well. You have to say you're doing well. You're not yes. doing you're doing well. And now when I hear people say I'm doing good, it kind of drives me nuts too. Right. English. But so not only the English, but then because they use a mental health diagnosis as an adjective, like just say yeah. I'm so obsessive or I'm so orderly or I'm so organized. Like it's not hard. Yeah. Just say so I'm around ordered. saying I'm so schizophrenic. We don't say I'm so major depressive disorder. Like we say, I'm so sad today. Yeah, I'm so major depressive right now. That it sounds stupid. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, it does. That does not sound great. Treatment for OCD. Is there a medical way at attacking it without therapy? There are medications that are shown to be effective. Any OCD specialist or psychiatrist will tell you that it'll be more effective with treatment, with behavioral or CBT treatment. Because I always think about it too, because. I'm in the process of weaning off uh, anti-anxiety medication, right? The one I'm on is uh, Klonopin. It's Klonopin. It's just a generic form. Thank you. Shout out my insurance. I'm team generic all day, every day. I'm a generic boy. Every day, all day. Save that money. But it's weird because it's like it's also like an anti-seizure medication. Like, can they use anti-anxiety medications to treat OCD? Or is it a different, is it serotonin re-inhibitors and all that stuff? You just got it. The SSRIs, the antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications like the Zoloft, Prozac, those kind are what are shown to be most effective. There are other medications that can be used in adjunct to help. Yes, yes. But yeah, almost everybody will say with, you know, there's a few evidence-based treatments that are done for OCD. 
Okay, because I always try to like give everybody the complete runaround, you know, because some people are pro medication, some people aren't, you know, and I, I always say like it's different strokes for different folks. I've been on an antidepressant for five, five years now, and I can't really complain about it. In the beginning, I could, though, because it like made like my wiener not work the way I wanted it to. But so, you know, that was the hardest thing when the doctor was like, he's like, how do you feel about your uh, depression? I was like, kind of depressed that my wiener is not working the way it's supposed to, though. I was like, you know, and they were like, yeah, we're going to work through that. I was like, I hope you and I aren't going to work through it. I said, I have to go home. I have to go home and deal with this myself. Yes. But I do stress people all the time about this is that whether you're on medication or not, there's so much homework because you can't live with your therapist. It's impossible. You know, I would love to at times be like, hey, man, like, can we talk about this for like an hour? But for me, I don't think people stress the homework enough when it comes to any kind of disorder. It's, it's mostly on you. I remember when I went inpatient, I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing. And then when I had to leave, I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to attack this and go to therapy and do the whole thing. So for people out there listening, it's like, just take that one small step, you know, to just kind of get better and work on yourself. Don't rely so much on what everybody kind of tells you to do. Find out what works for you. I think a lot of people look for one sole reason to fix their lives. Oh, yeah. Luckily, even though there is still some stigma with mental health, it is getting better generation by generation. Like I am so thankful that right now we have this age of kids that are like bragging about going to therapy and who's your therapist and when do you go? And I'm like, I can't wait for my kids someday. Like therapy's just going to be like, like going to the doctor. Yeah. My doctor put it really, just like you said, my doctor was like, Hey man, if you tore your ACL, would you go get it looked at? Yeah. And then I was like, I don't know. old school Italian kind of. He's like, all right, so let me ask you this. If your appendix exploded and you had to go to the doctor, would you go? I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, why wouldn't you do that for your brain? I was like, oh, it kind of makes sense. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And, you know, I never thought therapy would work for me and it saved my life. So I want people to know that. Can OCD be looked at positively? Like, can it be turned into like a positive thing? So like, say I, I struggle with OCD and like, I have to put my hat on five times. Mm-hmm. How do I transfer something like that into a positive? You know, the, the, something like physical or mental compulsive acts. How do I turn that into a positive? Or is it even a negative to begin with? I think the shame we put on ourselves makes it so much more negative, but I think the recovery and the strength it takes for recovery, that's, I mean, such a strength of ours that all the individuals I've met with OCD, like that's the power there. Like they're such intelligent individuals, creative, strong. That's the power of OCD. Like I would never say OCD has any perks or anything other than just making you more empathetic towards others with OCD. But I'm like, these people have the most compassionate hearts, the most creative brains. And the most strength to be able to get through what they're going through, they can do anything in life. So that's what they get from it. So OCD and anxiety, connected or not connected, intertwined, is OCD considered an anxiety disorder? Is it not? Is it a neurological disorder, like along the lines of like Tourette's syndrome? Where does OCD fit in that pocket between 
like neurological i mean it's all neurological but like neurological into the sense of like Tourette syndrome and then just being like superstitious yeah and i'll even be the first to admit i am not an expert when it comes to Tourette's and those related disorders but that's in a whole other category what's interesting about your question is up until a few years ago ocd was under the anxiety disorders umbrella like Ah. diagnostic okay manual interesting But recently, you know, they changed it to its own category because they recognize like, yes, they're intertwined. People with OCD have anxiety. People with anxiety, you know, are more likely to have OCD. Like they're all kind of comorbid, but they recognize there's enough differences, right? Because of the excessive nature, the getting stuck, plus the compulsions that they're like, these need to be separate. Like they are two different things. I think of them more on like a spectrum than two just really different things. But then Tourette's is a whole other category too. So yeah, yeah. Because I look at it like this. It's like everyone in the world gets anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, some people just have a more a tick in their fight or flight response. That it's just like, you know, it just happens out of nowhere, you know, and that's what I struggle with from time to time. But I've learned to kind of live with it as I've gotten older, but it's still tough from time to time. So that's uh, I'm happy that we were able to clear that up for somebody because I feel like we're all really ready to just throw everything in the same basket a lot of the times. It's like, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. I'm like, well, let's go to a doctor and try to like see if we have any of this. You I know? love that recommendation because I know it's easy to listen to podcasts and see social media posts and be like, I have everything she's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, hey, like if we really like it, I always tell people if in your mind you really think you have something, go see if you really have. It. Yeah. Because it'll probably give you a lot of closure on a lot of shit that's going on in your life. So, you know, part of my French. I try not to curse too much around like licensed people. You know what I'm saying? But, you know. Like you already I said, told me about your dick. and yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You said it. I did it. I'm just being honest. I have to be honest about what my mental health is like in the show because uh, I'm not I'm robbing the audience. Yeah. I'm robbing the audience of my penis. What does exposure therapy look like for OCD? Like, do they just like throw you in a room with like a thousand light switches mm-hmm. or is it like something like, you know, because I remember like I had a fidget cube for a while. What is exposure therapy? Because I know exposure therapy for someone like me with panic disorder is like, oh, you don't like crowds? You're going to go to the Knicks game. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's exposure therapy for obsessive compulsive disorder? Yeah. So one of the treatments, exposure and response prevention, just like you're describing, would be like, let's confront the fear. If your obsession is stuck on what if I have cancer? Well, then we might read stories about cancer or about that news article where somebody passed from cancer, or we might say the word cancer, cancer, cancer. And so many times until eventually it's not that we're not going to have a human emotional response to cancer, but there won't be that panic shocked response every time that obsession pops up. So exposures are just, you know, confronting it gradually so that our body can habituate, which is just a fancy word, meaning get used to the anxiety. I always say, I talk about habituation. Like when you get into a cold pool, have you ever jumped into a cold lake or dipped into a cold pool? And at first you're like, oh shit, this is really cold. And then you got in further and you're like, ah, that's really cold. But eventually you're in this cold pool and you're like, come on in guys. Like it's nice. The pool did not change temperature. You habituated to it. And that's what exposure is like. And then the other treatment, an evidence-based treatment for OCD is called inference-based CBT. I talked about the story that OCD creates inference-based CBT. 
This doesn't involve any exposures. It actually helps us resolve how our brain even created this doubt. It's saying your brain is using a whole lot of hearsay stories and a whole lot of random facts and a whole lot of personal experiences to make up this story that's not even occurring. And so it resolves, it looks at more the root or the why of the doubt and doesn't do any kind of exposure. So we have these like two totally opposite treatments, but both are shown to be about as effective. Just kind of let our clients explore, you know, which one do they connect better with? Which do they want to do? I love that because uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was so great for me because if you really think about it, like I remember, <laughs> it's so funny. When I went to the therapist's office for the first time, they were like, yeah, like, tell me about your mom. I was like, yeah, she, she was annoying sometimes. Hey, how do we like fix this though? You know? And they were like, oh, I think you're looking for something else. I think you're looking for cognitive behavioral therapy. I was like, I'll cover my mom and dad like a little bit later in my life. Like right now it's like, how do I learn some coping mechanisms for me to like not be afraid to take a shower by myself? Mm-hmm. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't go outside, couldn't sleep. So like, I was like, listen, like my parents, whatever, we'll figure it out. But cognitive behavioral therapy, I think CBT is becoming very popular now, which is amazing because it's actually teaching people like how to deal with stuff instead of being like, oh, well, like your mom, like didn't hug you enough. And like that happens to people and it's a real thing and, and, it, and it can be difficult, but it's like, that's not a coping mechanism for me. That's just me realizing why I'm acting certain ways in my life. I think having coping mechanisms before actually going into that part of therapy actually helped my therapy experience because it it didn't become something where it was like, oh, yeah, it's everybody else's fault. You know what I mean? In a weird sense, you know, and I'm just speaking from my experience, not saying all therapies like that, you know, disclaimer. That was just my experience. So uh, I, I love where cognitive behavioral therapy is going and the rise in popularity for it. What? would be the scientific definition of harm obsession because i've had people reach out to me on instagram and stuff and say you know uh, i watch the show um i self-harm and i've had conversations with people but you know i always come to the point where i point them to somebody like you or somebody like this obviously i try to get them to stop doing that if i can sometimes they reach out to people they look up to and ask those questions what exactly is harm obsession and where does that come from So complicated, nuanced answer to this because harm obsessions in the OCD world would be these unwanted, distressing, intrusive thoughts that might sound like, what if I just jumped off this building? What if I just stabbed my spouse? What if I just uh, threw my baby down the stairs, right? Any kind of obsessions that latch onto a harm, you know, harm content. Again, unwanted, ego dystonic, you know, very distressing. Person's not going to act on this. However, obsessions in the OCD world get confused with just the word obsession in the just general public. So people might say I'm having harm obsessions, meaning they're just really stuck on the idea of actual self-harming. So that's why we often say go to a professional to determine like if you truly are like wanting to do something like you are having self-harm obsessions versus self-harm obsessions as part of OCD. Ah, okay. Because obsessions can go either way. They can be an OCD obsessions or like you obsess about cars. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if you're obsessive about one thing, you could be obsessive about something else. I think that's the hard thing to come to terms with, with people that I know who've been diagnosed with OCD. It's like, I'm not just obsessive about this. I'm obsessive about a lot of shit. And I was like, that's easy. And my friend, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want him 
But you know, we've talked we've talked about it. And he's like, dude, like I'm obsessive about a lot of shit, and that's the shit that drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Is that it's a lot of things. He was like, if it was just like this thing, like just closing stuff, I'd be able to be like, whatever, it's just the thing I do. But it's like a, a lot of facets of my life. And I asked him, I was like, how long have you been doing that? He's like, since before I can remember. And what does OCD look like in kids? Like for for the parents that are listening to the show, how does it manifest itself in in children? Yeah, it has the same criteria, but parents might be more likely to see the physical compulsions, right? A lot of checking, a lot of reassurance seeking, going to mom and dad. Hey, do you think this bad thing is going to happen? Am I going to be okay? Is everything fine? Uh, a lot of repetitive behaviors, routines, hand washing. So this, a lot of the physical compulsions, there might be mental compulsions, but because it's kids, we don't observe them. And because kids are a little bit less cognitively advanced or verbal, we just don't yeah. know what's happening, but we tend to see more of the themes like the contamination themes, just right OCD, where things just have to be just right, but they can develop anything like religious obsessions, harm obsessions, like anyone. Okay. All right. I think that's good. I think it's good to really ask this question right here. Okay. Does all OCD require treatment? And when should someone who thinks they have OCD go for treatment? A great question. To me, if it's starting to impact your functioning, like if it's making it hard to be in a relationship or to get out of bed or to go to work or to do school or to clean your house, like when it's making it difficult, that is the clear sign to go get treatment. Not saying you can't get it before. I'm an advocate for like, get yourself a therapist just because it enhances your life. But definitely by that point, if it's impacting your life and keeping you from just living life to your fullest, do it. You know, everyone's case is different. You know, I feel like if somebody feels they have control over it, you know, into a point where they feel like they're in control and they live with it. I don't necessarily think like that person needs to have to go get treatment if they're okay in their life, you know, mm-hmm. but I always recommend going because I just, I just love going. I love, yeah, I love Right. And my last question, I ask everybody on this show at the end of every episode is are you happy today that is a beautiful question yeah i'm happy today things are good today i love that i love to ask licensed professionals this question because like sometimes you're like oh well you know happiness is fleeting let me tell you so it's like you know i'm like damn that was kind of deep but like every once in a while you're like hey yeah i'm fucking happy and i'm like awesome i love that where can everybody find you on the internet where can we find the book do you have anything coming up yeah so i'm mostly present on instagram it's anxiety ocd treatment my website is amandalcpc.com. My OCD exposure coloring books are on Instagram. And then I have a reassurance compulsion workbook coming up in June. So that's coming. Oh, nice. And as far as things coming up, I have, you know, inference-based CBT, that treatment I was talking about. I have a training coming up for therapists in January. So if anybody wants to sign up, cool. we need more therapists trained in this. So Amanda, first of all, just thank you so much for taking time to hang out with me and answer all my questions. And being such a great sport about like, you know, just me trying to figure out for the audience, asking the question sometimes people are afraid to ask. I have to admit, I never get nervous for podcasts, but I immediately was like, I'm not cool enough to talk to Danny. What the hell does he want to do with me? (laughs) It's not true. I tell people this all the time when I talk to people on this show. I'm like a kid at a candy store. I get free treatment every week. You know, so like the jokes on all of you guys. So I need people to keep thinking like that because it's like, oh, yeah, it's like, hey, uh, you want to come in for a session? I'm like, no, I just had one. I have another one at four o'clock today. So I'm excited. 
You're a so, genius. So you got to find ways through the system. That's that's smart. Guys, go check out the coloring books. I'll tell you this. I don't have OCD. I'm going to get this coloring book because I just like coloring books. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. You know, I'm sorry if I'm taking it away from somebody with OCD, but I have to do it now. I just love coloring books. But yeah, check it out. Check all the, the seminars. Check out the Instagram. Check us out on Instagram at 101 OTC. And again, Amanda, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!